and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 446. That's right. We are talking all about issues two and three, both of them, of Infinite Frontier, the event currently ongoing from uh, DC Comics. Uh, I think it's safe to call it an event. I don't think there's, I don't think it crosses over necessarily the way you would expect a normal event to, but there are a lot of other titles that sort of tie in uh, tangentially or just sort of kind of updating the universe on this, would you say? If it's an event, it's an event with a small E. Yeah. Certainly based on the pace this thing is going at. It's not it's not going at any kind of breakneck pace considering there's only six six issues and I haven't read four yet, but based on what I've heard, four doesn't really pick up the pace considerably. So <laughs> so it I think it's safe to say that they're just you know, that if we had doubts about whether this thing was gonna be you know, be a true event or a prelude to an event. I think it's pretty safe to say this is just setting up the, setting up an event. Yeah. Uh, so other than Infinite Frontier, what else are we talking about tonight? We're going to give some thoughts on the Let There Be Carnage trailer, the new one. It dropped like a week ago. Actually, it dropped right before, I think like the day of or right before the day, either the day of or the day before Chad and I recorded last time. And then we're going to talk about Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, since that is super topical. And Chad actually has, he did see that since he has HBO Max. So once he said that he actually saw it, then it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's discuss. For sure. Spoilers, spoilers, of course, once we get to that part. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, first and foremost, let's get the creative teams. Uh, So I'll be talking about issue two and uh, I guess we'll, we'll recap, recap, and then comment, right? Or unless you want to do recap comment. No, I think recap, I think recap, recap, essentially makes sense in this okay awesome all right so uh my story entitled infinite lies is writer joshua williamson uh pencilers paul pelletier uh, jesus marino and zermancio uh norm rapman jesus marino and zermancio are the inkers uh romulo fajaro jr is the colorist uh, tom napolitino is the letter mitch jareds is the cover artist uh brian hitch and alex sinclair and puppeteer lee did the variant covers and Diego Lopez and is associate other editor with Jamie S. Rich as the editor. So we open up with uh, Cameron uh, checking in at the, the hall of justice on earth zero. Uh, she has an appointment there to see Superman who she refers to as super Clark. Uh, they did confirm that this is on earth zero. So I'm not entirely sure when we started calling Superman uh, super Clark, 
or if that's just a nickname that stuck since his uh, alter ego of, of Clark Kent is now public. I, I don't know uh, when that happened, but apparently it's there in big Superman lettering. So whatever. Anyways, she is uh, checking in to meet with Superman as well as Batman uh, about uh, the multiverse stuff. She's checking in on the status. She wants uh, to know what's kind of going on with it, uh, how the league's handling things. And they're checking in. Uh, she got the report based on everything that happened in death metal with Perpetua and the Batman who laughs and blah, 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 which she literally says <laughs> in her thing. So that just, I guess that somebody has a, an interesting opinion on death metal. Who's writing this? I'm guessing uh, maybe, maybe they're just joking. I don't know. could be just sarcasm. Anyways, uh, she's saying that, you know, enough of these events have happened at this point that the general public is uh, not going to be sated with the explanation of the league is handling it. Um, but sure enough, in the middle of her trying to get all this information, a an alarm goes off and the league has to deal with something. So Superman takes her out of the Hall of Justice while they fly off to deal with it. She checks in with uh, Director Bones, who says, I have another errand for you. There's someone I'd like you to recruit. Uh, and uh, she's pulling up a... Uh, news story that shows uh, Captain Adam is back. Um, we see across Earth 8, 11, 17, 26, 25, 7, and 41 that various pieces of a ship have appeared across the multiverse and they are gather the uh, Justice Incarnate or whatever the hell we're calling this uh, in the House of Heroes uh, is gathering the ship uh, to rebuild the shuttle and uh, get a sense of what it was for and where it's from, vibrational frequencies, so on and so forth. In the House of Heroes, uh, Thomas Wayne, Batman, and uh, from the Flashpoint universe, and President Superman are looking at a big map of the multiverse. And <laughs> Batman says, a multiverse, huh? Different worlds. <laughs> and President Superman has it says, we have a guidebook and everything. And uh, Thomas Wayne looks at what he's holding in his hand, and it is... The multiversity guidebook issue from if you guys remember when Grant Morrison was doing the multiversity stuff, that event was happening, the the, the guidebook issue. Uh, and Thomas Wayne says, I don't read comic books. <laughs> Anyways, President Superman checks in with Harbinger, uh, who says Barry Allen was last seen exploring the multiverse. Um, he checks uh, checks with Thomas to see the last thing he remembers, and all he remembers was just sort of being transported. They go to Earth-22 to check out one of the big fragments of the ship, basically the, the bigger part of it, uh, and they are attacked by Magog, or Magog. I never really knew how we're supposed to say that. Back over on Earth-Zero, uh, the uh, Alan and Obsidian and Mr. Terrific, along with Savage, are running tests at the Brownstone to see what has happened with the explosion. They uh, reveal that other people are also missing. It looks like we have Dr. Midnight, Adam Smasher, Our Man, Wildcat, the female Wildcat, the Adam, like the Golden Age Adam, Power Girl, as well as Jade. Uh, Obsidian gets mad at Alan because they already knew some of these people were missing. Uh, so maybe he could have stepped in and done something or warned Jade or kept a better eye on her or whatever. Uh, this is something that Totality, uh, uh, which is the team that Alan was a part of that we saw in issue one, has been looking into. One of the things they've been looking into. Savage says, basically, this is a Totality business. Keep your son in line, that little brat in place. And this is why I don't have kids. They're just a distraction. Send your brat home so we can continue our work. 
Alan doesn't take that too well, smashes Savage to the ground with a big construct and uh, immediately decides he's going to take uh, Obsidian's side and they're going to go look for his daughter. We cut over to Roy Harper, who's in the middle of the desert with his black ring on his finger. He's trying to figure out what's going on, create constructs. He's like, how do I recharge this? Is there an oath? And then he says, what did Hal used to say? And we cut back to a very Green Lantern, Green Arrow style uh, flashback where Speedy is asking Hal, can I try? Uh, And Hal says, it's not that easy, Speedy. The ring chose me. And Speedy says, because you're fearless. Uh, And then uh, Ollie says, don't be filling my kid with your willpower garbage, Jordan. And Speedy asks, willpower? And Hal says, I guess it just knows I believe uh, I guess it just knows I believe in myself. And Speedy says, I wish I had some of that. And Hal says, let me ask you this, kid. When you take a shot, who is in control, you or the bow? And that's when uh, modern day Roy looks down at the ring and lights it up and he says, bullseye. And then he gets the the Black Lantern costume on, flies up, creates a couple of constructs of uh, various villains to do some target practice. He notices he's off the mark just a little bit, starts joking about what his name should be, Black Arrow, blah, blah, blah. And then he realizes Hal's ring could talk to him, right? Uh, So talk to me. Why me? Now, the ring doesn't talk, but it lights up really big. And we get this double page splash of Barry Allen and Change and Thomas Wayne, Batman. We also see uh, Darkseid and we see uh, Psycho Pirate. And then we see this girl. And this girl is Leon, Roy Harper's daughter, who believes who he is under the impression she's dead. He says, Leon alive. Show me my daughter. Where is she? He freaks out. He says, tell me now. And then all of a sudden, the ring lights up and says, Dark Side is. He screams. Black goo goes over him. His Black Lantern symbol changes to an Omega symbol. His skin goes gray. He looks more zombie-like. He takes off immediately straight into the sky as um, some text says, Come to me, my Black Lantern. As it's shooting off, some uh, military members on a nearby base see just this streak flying up into the sky probably another damn superhero and captain adam arrives saying uh, go easy on them they don't have all all have our training he checks in uh, onto the metropolis air force base uh, where in his barracks as he's packing everything up cameron is there to greet him Um, she wants to recruit him he says i'm retired uh she says that's not you know he says you know i'm done with all this action i just want to live a quiet life she says that's not the nathan adam i used to know when you are on that mission uh you told uh you told me never rest you'd never rest until you felt the world was safe he says that was a long time ago lots happened since then she says right but you and i have never met before so she asked from him from what earth he's from he says it doesn't really matter Uh, I can't let you uh, know what I know. I can't, you don't understand what's really going on in the multiverse. Uh, He'll, he'll find out he'll come for me. He says, dark side is as he rips open his containment suit and explodes on the air force base and in a big mushroom cloud, it says next uh, Alan Scott and obsidian kick ass. All right. Into issue three, I, we go, I guess. I reckon so. So with mine, it's weird giving the title. Let's hold off on giving the I'll give the creative team. Let's hold off on the title, considering the the relevance of when they introduced the title of this issue. So I'm just trying to see if there's any difference in the creative team. I'm comparing. I'm going to say no. It looks pretty much the same. So let's just go with that. Saves time anyway. So the first page of the issue is a Daily Planet recap 
pretty much it's like the headline of the front page of the Daily Planet. And it talks about the JSA headquarters in Gotham destroyed, mysterious dark UFO seen in the skies over Phoenix, origin of explosion in Metropolis military base under wraps, DEO agent Cameron Chase believed dead. And then what is the multiverse? Are there other versions of you out there? <laughs> what happened if they come here? Listen to our experts explain why you should be afraid of the multiverse. So most all those other events we already we have seen either just in last issue or the or the first issue. JSA headquarters was the first issue when Jade was is went missing. The UFO, the dark UFO is is Roy. The explosion was Captain At was Cap I think Captain Adam, and that also involves uh, obviously Chase Cameron disappearing. So exactly as last issue teased that we begin with uh with Obsidian and Alan Scott kicking ass. Uh, this, it's to me, this reminded me of a little bit of like the beginning of Diamonds of Forever when James Bond is like beating the crap out of everybody he can find as he's trying to hunt down Blofeld for killing his wife and in uh, Under Majesty's Secret Service. That's what this is kind of like. So they're going they're kind of like running the gamut through all JS old JSA villains that uh, could possibly have an idea or be or be participating in the what's going on with Jade and her uh, kidnapping, including Solomon Grundy. They come to deal with Shade. And this is they have a conversation, Obsidian and Alan have a conversation and Shade pretty much puts them on the path that the perhaps the mistake that you're basically the basic mistake that you're making here potentially is believing that this has to do with you as an Alan Scott. And while Alan's trying to figure out what this means, Todd figures it out pretty quickly. It's like he's saying it's not one of your enemies, dad, but one of mine and Jade's. And I and he go and he goes, I know who we need to see next. Meanwhile, we're here. Come to me, my Black Lantern, picking up on what happened with Roy last issue. We get some flashback scenes, uh, including the Speedy on drugs cover. And uh, while this is going on, Speedy starts coming back to human Black Lantern form. He's not looking like a zombie anymore. Leon, his daughter, is the last thing that he sees before he returns to quote unquote normal. It's like she's alive and he realizes that he's out in space. So it's pretty safe to say the ring was almost like. Uh, taking him to whoever was calling for him, which we all assume is dark side. But the ring was pretty much taking him on that trajectory until he basically snapped himself out of it. And he was about ready to make a spaceship construct. And then he realized, hey, the last time I used this, I turned into a zombie, which is not entirely true. It's actually when he was communicating with the ring. That's what it happened. But he's funny. It's like, well, you know, it's space and there's superheroes and aliens that come all, all the time. I'm just going to sit here until somebody shows up. And then there's this bright light that blinds him. He goes, speak of the devil. Meanwhile, excuse me, we cut back to Earth 22. And Magog is dealing with uh, President Superman and Thomas Wayne and company. And he's pretty much telling them that, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you know, you're not welcome here. You're invading my world. And every time somebody from the multiverse arrives, you know, it's 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 caused tragedy. And he really zeroes in on Thomas Wayne. It's like he reeks of reality manipulation. <laughs> I kind of like that. Uh as that's going on, as Chad mentioned last issue, uh, Justice Incarnate shows up, which is a weird friggin' team to begin with, especially with Captain Carrot. And obviously Magog is not really, he's not really impressed by this. But I do like the fact that he goes, you can throw whoever you want at me, Machine Head, but you won't like my backup, even though we don't really get his backup. It makes you wonder who that is. President Superman plays Peacemaker and he goes, Magog is right. This world is his, it's not ours. And he just says, well, we're, we're just this. He describes what Chad did in the last recap about how there's different fragments of this ship all throughout different parts of the multiverse. And we just want to examine this part and then we'll leave. 
And Magog says, fine, just make sure you take this abomination, Thomas Wayne, with you when he leaves. Thomas Wayne mentions the what Barry Allen said about being able to locate where he was and figure out what world he was on by using vibrations. So they all touched, you know, they all touched the fragment of the spaceship. President Superman actually gets some gets some information out of it when he puts his hand on it because he goes fascinating. And he goes, appears our investigation must continue at at my own home. And Thomas Wayne asked a question. It's like, let me ask you something. Is do uh, you think Magog is the only person sick of the multiverse? And Planet Super, uh, excuse me, President Superman's honest enough to say, well, no, really, because I thought the multiverse was coming together in harmony, but I was wrong, implying that clearly that there's, there's more dissent and more dissatisfaction in what's going on than probably anybody would have wanted to believe or certainly hoped. We have a really cool play, cool page with Barry Allen and Jay Garrick drawn in your typical, like probably early Silver Age kind of coloring style, which is basically... What what Barry is thinking in his head as he's in, really he's still on Earth Omega and and it's basically this gigantic treadmill hamster wheel essentially he's on this cosmic hamster wheel that uh, Psycho Pirate has him on and he's basically and this kind of answers one question I guess maybe we thought whether Psycho Pirate was dead or not but then again look at Roy right Roy can look human and still look zombie like because you see him without his mask and he certainly looks he doesn't look zombie like let's put it that way so at the very least he must. At the very least, or maybe worst case scenario, he's like he is like Roy, where maybe if he has some dead dead powers that he it comes and it goes, or you can control it. He's so he's basically playing with Barry's mind, telling him that you know it's like you were the first one to race from one Earth to another, and now I, and now basically I'm using my powers to push you to be the hero you are to go someplace else. And Barry's like, I'm a hero, I must save them. He he sees someone, it's like it's like help. It's like, we need your help, please. And and Barry's trying to figure out who it is. And it's like, I'll save you. And and Psycho Pirate, you know, with holding his mask close to his face, it's like, yes, save our multiverse. Run, Barry, run. Alan and Todd and Oblivion, they end up and underneath Bloodhaven, which is where Todd wanted them to go. He uses his darkness powers to get inside. They see all these, they see the spaceship. And they see, first they see Mr. Bones. And they follow Mr. Bones and then you see all this giant spaceship and there's energy. There's energy coming off of it. We see, you know, carrier arcs vibrating, you know, get those cells loaded. Bones goes and then Oblivion's like, what kind of spaceship needs prison cells? We hear a hello boys and the bounty hunter from the first issue, which was extract shows up and all the guards and are pull their guns on Alan and Obsidian who basically go, go toe to toe. With all these guards start taking him out. Extract tries to get tries to get involved. And Alan's like really pissed. And it's like, just tell me where my daughter is and will. And you hear, I know where Jade is, Alan. And it turns out it's Chase. Uh Cameron's still alive. And she says, you know, you don't understand what's at stake here. Bones plan is the only way to save our world. Alan's still stunned by all this, and she goes, I'm sorry, and she seemingly blasts Alan, but that's where you, you cut to uh back to another one of these spaceships in space that picked that actually was the one that picked up Roy. And we we got introduced to Agent Hammond, otherwise known as Hector Hammond, who was seemingly, seemingly returned to his pre-mutated state during the whole post-Black Metal fallout. I kind of like in the bottom of the page when when Roy's look kind of looking up that uh, Hector Hammond almost looks like Krona, almost looks like a pre-modified, you know, head-growing Krona, the original Krona. He does. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was, I thought that was an, you know, whether that's going to be foreshadowing or just, or just a way to, or just luck of the draw. 
I thought that was very, very interesting, especially within the shadow. He looks very much like, very much like Krona. Uh, at this moment, uh, Roy gets this sharp pain going through his head. And Hector Hammond is like, well, stole that technology from Sonar, scrambles your equilibrium so you can't use the ring. The bosses weren't sure if that would work, but I'm a little bit of an expert in power rings. And that's when Roy realizes it's Hector Hammond. Uh, and he gives us the origin, I, the explanation I just gave already about how you know things were set back, you know, factory settings were <laughs> returned. I said, you know, on reset, went back to the factory settings, the defaults. And he talks about the bleed. It's like, isn't it beautiful to bleed the worlds between, you know, space between worlds and the multiverse. And he's like, you know, imagine our surprise when you had that ring, that black ring you have on your hand. I'm not even sure it's from our multiverse, but it shows you why. And Roy's like, I don't know. And Hector Hammond's like, yeah, I didn't expect you to, but a deal has been made for you in that ring, Roy. And then at this point, it's like, a, it's like all of a sudden something hit the ship and, and Hector Hammond's like, that's impossible. And all, all, you know, all the guards start, all the guards start running and they start Roy kind of like lashes out. And I like, he makes an energy, a black energy, Hal Jordan construct. That's pretty neat appropriately because he decks Hector Hammond. And then as he's doing that, he's like, no, no, please not again. As he thinks, as he starts seemingly drifting into zombie mode. And as he's doing this, we hear great. They must've found zombie world, some zombie world in the multiverse. You know what that means? Aim for the head. And we see the reconfigured Infinite Incorporated with Jade, uh, Power Girl, among others. And that's the splash page that ends this issue. For sure. Where do you want to start in terms of, I mean, obviously our focus is probably the Roy stuff and the Allen and Obsidian stuff, but anything anywhere in particular? Um, it's up to you. Why don't you, pick a, why don't you pick an angle and go for it? I mean, I think the thing that generates probably the most conversation is probably Roy. Um, you know, uh, just in terms of him learning how to use the ring, it's interesting seeing somebody who's been around Green Lantern but never been a ring bearer to like uh, to uh, to see uh, you know to to be like oh what did Hal used to say and try and incorporate like you know just remember how he saw him operate things like that. So I thought that was really cool. Gave us some good flashbacks, some good stuff. Um, like I mentioned in the first step, which I guess got some attention online in terms of the, uh, in terms of some of the Twitter responses I saw about the theory about dark side, but I mean, nothing really revealed here. I mean, dark side does say come to me, my black lantern and the, the origins of this ring being even more messed up uh, are like almost confirmed with what Hector Hammond says uh, because he kind of says something about, we're not even sure this ring is from our multiverse. So that's interesting, uh, you know, because we I don't think we have we ever seen alternate reality Black Lanterns other than the dark multiverse Sinestro story. I want to say no. Yes. Yeah. So that would be a new concept for us to play play with, you know, the fact that it that that its origins are sort of unknown and we kind of throw out there that it could be from another multiverse makes me think it's from you know uh, it could be also earth omega created by dark side so on and so forth so that's interesting i just i thought it was cool that you know in a, in a story that has a lot of a uh, of s shields and bat symbols and stuff like that i think it's interesting how much we're focusing on the sidekick of green arrow with a black lantern ring there's a lot of actual physical page time devoted to what's happening with him so i thought that was really cool and interesting 
No, I agree. I think the, 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 the Roy stuff, I mean, obviously for like you, I think alluded to the, the Roy stuff and the Allen and obsidian things are really the, the thing for, from our perspective are the really, really the only thing that really will grab us. Obviously there's stuff related to what's going on with all the, you know, with, with the, what the multiverse, the omniverse, what, you know, even the stuff with Magog and everything else, that's some, that's somewhat interesting. What's the threat and what is, you know, what Bones is trying to put together and why he's organizing, getting all these heroes together to what, you know, from his perspective, what threat that he's trying to meet head on. It's, it's interest It is intriguing. What's, what's going on on that basic level too. But the Roy stuff, just because of the way the ring works, which is seemingly not entirely unique. I mean, we've seen other, we've seen some, Black Lantern powers before at least, but without it being, you know, complete, you know, zombified and things like that. But it is, but it is interesting that he seems to be able to use the ring. If he's just trying to tap into making constructs and things like that, that he seems to be able to be in control, at least for a period of time. But it's, it's when he basically tries to tap into the AI aspect of the ring. That's when he loses control. So that that part is that part is somewhat interesting. You know, the Allen and Obsidian stuff the issue issue two. We got we, we kind of got the reprieve from all oh, let's focus in on Allen's sexuality. Obviously, they kind of made up for it in this issue because there's multiple conversations re- re- alluding to while they don't specifically talk about, you know, him being gay. They do. They, we Everybody at this point knows Alan Scott's gay because they don't stop talking about it. But they talk about his, you know, they're talking about his personal life, his romantic life, his sexual life, whatever, in multiple and multiple aspects and times with him and and uh, Todd talking. So they kind of, so again, it's it would be nice if they didn't focus on that as much as they do. It's pretty much every time but one appearance I think so far that they've had some allusion to uh, to that. But uh, I did like I did like the. Even though I don't know most of those characters, I did like the double splash page there of, of, of Obsidian helping his father, like basically beat the crap out of all these old JSA villains trying to find information, thinking that they may be the ones, maybe because of to get revenge on, on Alan or something like that, besides maybe some ties to Jenny, too. But just the idea that, oh, it could be some old Alan villain trying to get back. You know, this this is their way of getting back at Alan. So he's kind of like rattling the cage and just shaking everybody down to try to find information to see kind of let Alan let loose, if you will. That's kind of that, 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 that's always interesting. I think it's cool too, how this has almost become half of a, this book has halfway become a JSA slash return of uh, the infinity Inc sort of combination book. I like it. Uh, I have an infinity Inc poster that, you know, cause for those of you who don't know, uh, even I mean, it, it still happens. It's a practice. It still happens today, but it also happened, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, so on and so forth. It's a longstanding practice. Uh, publishers like DC will send uh, posters to comic book retailers to advertise in their shop as a way because, you know, not everybody reads previews or solicits or looks at any order forms or whatever. So let's advertise to the readers who come to the store to pick up their new issues of what series are coming out soon. That's how I have a a poster from the nineties of the, the Pat Broderick, Keith Giffen Ragman series. I have that framed on my wall, but I also, when I was shopping online at one point, I bought a couple of others. One of them was, 
the poster that advertises the issue where Kyle Rayner appears on the cover. You know, the first issue of Kyle Rayner's series. And I had the Emerald Twilight one. Yeah, I got the poster that showed that that's uh, the image of him coming from his battery or whatever towards the reader. The Hal, Hal? Huh? yeah, Hal or Kyle. 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 Yeah, I have I have the one that I think technically the one I have pushes is the one for Green Lantern 50 pretty much. Yeah. And then I have also a, the poster that advertised the Infinity Ink series coming out. So uh, both that that uh, that Kyle poster and this Infinity Ink poster, I want to get framed. Uh, those are my next things to get framed uh, and put up on the in the new apartment. But I'm a really big fan of Infinity Ink. Uh, that era of writing. I don't know. Did you ever read Infinity Ink? No, it's. It's one of those series of that time, like All-Star Squadron, which I also really enjoy, which were like wordy SOBs of a story. Um, so it's kind of uh, the, it, if you're going to read Infinity Inc., just be prepared to sit down for a while is all I'm saying. doesn't necessarily make it, you know, bad or good one way or the other. It's just uh, some issues, uh, depending on the creative team, you go through relatively quick and other issues you don't i'm just letting you know infinity Inc. is not a series you fly through um but it's still good to see that uh, and it's not like we don't get those we don't get those uh we don't so when we get these characters it's usually the jsa that we focus in on because they're like the golden age here the, le- the legacy heroes the the heroes with names and staying powers but we don't we don't get like the children of the proteges of as much anymore uh, because if you know if they're going to vote any time to these characters who have failed in publication in one way or the other in terms of you know failing to sustain a consistent reader base, I still think they're great characters. But we're we're talking marketability at this point. I just think that the the DC has always been like, well, if we're going to devote time to any of them, we might as well. We probably have a better chance with the legacy heroes. So they give us Jay and Wildcat and. Alan and and Mr. Terrific and Our Man and so on and so forth, as opposed to Jade or Obsidian or Adam Smasher or you know any of any of these others uh, or the female Wildcat, uh, so on and so forth. So I just think it's I thought it was really cool to see them back. I don't have I've never read the entirety of Infinity Inc., but I just have it's one of those teams that when they show up, uh, any of the characters you know, especially on a splash like this with a a title like it has at the end of issue three with an infinite incorporated. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a shout out moment that makes you smile. So when I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. Ah, oh, cool. We're here. I like to see that. So I don't know how you felt about it. I, I do. I do like that style when they do that. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to give the title in a way, even though as you describe it, it wouldn't take away from the impact of the splash page as your vision is your, audibly ver- verbally describing it is just it's one of those things where it, sometimes you want to the impact of the the title is relevant where they put it in the issue so it's kind of good to just keep it there until you get to the point when it's the appropriate reveal time for sure i don't know if there's much to dig into with the allen and obsidian stuff i mean it's it's obviously there all it is though is we figure out bones and the DEO is behind her kidnapping or whatever we want to call it in some way, shape or form, or at least they know what's happening. So 
Yeah, I, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about Alan's involvement with the, the totality and what the totality's goals are. I don't know that we've learned that if you're just reading Infinite Frontier. Maybe that's been revealed somewhere else, or maybe it was a part of Death Metal or something, or any of those epilogues. I have no idea, but uh, if you're only reading Infinite Frontier, I don't know that we have a good handle on what the totality is and what it does because it's it's alan it's mr terrific it's savage it's supposed to be hot girl and wasn't it like lex or somebody in that in the first issue issue one i think so i think that sounds right i just i don't like because we have justice justice incarnate and then however you feel about the cast the characters i think we have an idea of what their job is because you know, Batman mentions at the beginning of issue two that, you know, there's open communication between all the multiverses so that we can keep, you know, we can we can kind of keep in communication with each other. So we're aware of upcoming threats and stuff. So each individual league or whatever the team of heroes is on any given world is responsible for their own world. But Justice Incarnate helps you know, kind of coordinate and and work with the uh, the impacted worlds or multiverses rather of of their respective things when it's a multiversal based problem. Uh, so they help coordinate and and things like that. So I mean, regardless of how you feel about the cast, like I said, at least at least what their purposes make sense. I don't know. Is the totality just Earth Zero's? resident justice incarnate like there's a justice league who handles you know just regular threats there's the justice league dark which handles magical based stuff as we know is the totality earth zeros team responsible for managing any multiversal related problems specifically occurring on earth zero is that what it's supposed to be Probably that's your guess is as good as mine when it comes to this at this point. I think it's it's very very up in the air. Uh, plus, what, that's what happens when you don't get a you have all these different groups being introduced and you don't have a, get a whole lot of firm defining of their responsibilities in their roles. Yeah, we're spending a lot of time with with Justice League Incarnate, and then obviously the League and the Dark are appearing elsewhere. But we know we know what their roles are. It's yeah, it was Mister Terrific. Oh, Talia. It was Talia Al Ghul. Yes. Uh, Lex and Savage and Hawkgirl. Yeah. Yeah. I guess from from that first confrontation against Extant, that's what their that's what their job is. There's the totality. But I don't. I still don't. I don't know. I just. I don't. Why? Why did the totality need need to be involved and or introduced in this? I'm just very confused because if the story you're telling with Alan is something happened to Jade and Obsidian and Alan are going to team up to go find out what happened. The DEO is the reason for it in some capacity. What roles does, what role does the totality play other than what Mr. Terrific does here? Just saying we've been investigating the disappearance of other people and here they are only to set up the reveal later on of those same people stepping in, in the Roy Harper situation. That, that doesn't seem like enough of a reason to involve them here. There's not a lot of clarity in a lot of this, to be perfectly honest. There's, there's a whole lot of lots of puzzle pieces, but not enough to put anything together yet. So I, that, I think that's part of the issue with this dragging on as slowly as, as it is so far that it's like, 
you also don't know what the end game is going to be by issue six at this point, how much, how much more clarity we're going to get at least about either what's coming or these pieces that are being, that we would like to see them connect like Roy and who's ever calling him, which we assume is of course is dark side. And they only have, well, technically they have two more issues since four came out. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want, I don't know that there's any more uh, juice for me to squeeze from this pulp. So, uh, you know, I don't want to drag on uh, episode wise uh, in terms of link looking for content to discuss. But yeah, it, it just it, I wasn't thinking about it as soon as we started. But after I started reading it a little bit, it's just I don't understand why the totality needed to be here and what their exact purpose is. So I thought I'd ask that. But uh, yeah, regardless, uh, issue four is out as of today, folks. Um, just peeling back the curtain. Uh, I've flipped through it. Not a whole lot more is a real, there's some stuff to talk about, but not, not a lot. Mark, do you want to talk a bit about how we're probably going to cover infinite frontier moving forward just so that they know? Well, I mean, we, had, I mean, we had contemplated this, I think a little bit before, uh, probably what we're going to do considering how it's paced so far. And because we, again, we, we don't want to just an internal thing for us. We've been talking about, which we've talked about before. We don't want to just basically be mining stuff for content that we're not overly passionate about or that may not necessarily even deserve full episodes so the game plan basically at this point unless something changes is to do four through six in its own in one last episode that four is out now so we'll wait till five and six come out and then we'll just do we'll just do all three of those issues and then we give our then we can give our thoughts on the whole of the whole mini event or whatever it is the prologue to an event whatever it turns out to be then we can give our thoughts and have a better idea of how it works, especially since we'll be reviewing the last three chapters back to back to back. Yeah. The only, the only caveat, I guess, being, you know, if something, obviously four is already out, nothing massive happens in that, but if five comes out and something huge worthy of discussion comes out, maybe we do a four and five episode rather than a four, five and six, but yeah, there's, there's no, there's, there's, you know, the right now the plan is like Mark said, four, five, and six in one big app. Cool. All right. What's next? Time to discuss your trailer. That's right. Do we want to watch it on episode or do we want to it's, uh, it's not, not worry it's, about the audio? I'm fine if you don't want to if you don't want to play it, if you just want to talk about it. I think I think that I don't think necessarily think we need to play it, but it's up to, but it's up to you. Oh yeah, let's I mean it's 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 what, two and a half minutes? Yeah. It's not too bad. All right, so let's see here. Get this thing going. I'll get it unmuted. Uh, at the very least, it'll make it easier for Mark for editing if he wants to get in his own audio. But regardless, all right. So uh, the trailer, Let There Be Carnage, official trailer number two over on YouTube on the Sony Pictures Entertainment uh, uh, YouTube channel. Looking at uh, the zero minute mark, and here we go. All I ever wanted in this world is carnage. Lady, we should be out there snacking on bad guys. I am a predator. I need to be free. You have got to get control of your aggression, or you will get hauled off into Area 51 live in my body you live by my rules i'm sorry i don't know what came over me please let me fix it so i can fix it again you are a loser eddie brock i want to give you my story 
People love serial killers. Please, why me? What's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. I have tasted blood before, and that is not it. What did you think of that? I liked it. I liked the first trailer, too. This trailer at least gives us a little bit more of the what well, gives you on, on the surface. It tells you how he ends up becoming Carnage, where he gets the symbiote. Uh, but, yeah, I liked it. I, I do. Uh, it also hints at future problems for Eddie with that little agreement that he makes with Venom, because, you know, that's going to be a big post post. Let there be Carnage problem for him. Because of the deal he makes with 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 Carter with Venom to like oh yeah you can eat any you can eat everybody it's like that's gonna be a problem <laughs> that that could be that could be your Spider Man segue right there it's the end the eventual entrance and Spider Man into the universe that they're the shared Spider Verse they're building here with Morbius and Vulture and all these characters that are crossing over that that could open the door for why Spider Man and Venom now might be on the on opposite ends of the spectrum if Eddie starts losing somewhat some control over the symbiote based on their based on his own words and his own you know agreement i think i mean the special effects are cool i didn't have i didn't i wasn't really concerned about that aspect of this movie i think i think it looks i think it looks good and i think there's reason to be hopeful that that it will draw people in whenever when that's september right that's a september release i thought it was pushed back because of covid i thought i saw that article recently i'll look it up yeah i I thought it was still September. Uh, the initial Googling says September 24, 2021, but... Uh, I think that is oh, correct. The, inter- the international release date is delayed. So, like, MovieWeb and the other places are speculating that it might be pushed back soon uh, in, the, in the U.S. International, though, has been delayed. Those articles were trending just yesterday, so... Yeah, I... I don't know if it's going to, I don't know. And we'll talk about this a little bit more once we segue into uh, suicide squad. I don't know if it's going to be pushed back. I don't know. The set, the reality is now this comes out that this comes out after Shang-Chi because Shang-Chi is what labor day, right? I believe. I think so. Yeah. 
that's the only that's a little late in the game to push it back waiting that long but that's about the only thing that would make you if shang chi were to completely tank even though again there's reasons if shang chi tanks that you can't just say oh COVID, COVID. but if shang but that would be the only reason why i would be i would consider moving it if i were sony right now i wouldn't certainly do it because of suicide squad and i certainly would and if free guy bombs this weekend I wouldn't do it because of that either, because you have to look and we'll talk about this more in a second. So I don't want to steer us off course. I think they should roll with it. I think September 24th. I think that's a, I think that's a good release time. They are there. You can't keep pushing back everything. I mean, you're going to have to just suck it up at some point, especially for them, because they don't have a stream. They don't have their own streaming platform or else you could at least, which we know opens up cans of worms anyway, but at least they would have an option to still make easy money. Not as much, but easy money they wouldn't have to share with anybody else if they had their own platform. I think they're I think they're going to stick with it. I I think there's reason to believe that uh, this movie could do well. That you can still put asses in the seats if the movie is if the movie is interesting enough to people, and it's the only place to see it. I still think there's every reason to believe people will go. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, so it's. Obviously, it's it's not like the Spider-Man movies in terms of Marvel Marvel's cooperation with Sony. It's not as as involved. But what platform would this be released on, streaming-wise? I forget the I forget the inner workings of the deal. Sony, I know Sony made their new deal that that a lot of these movies are going to end up on Netflix first. But oh. eventually, but but eventually, at least the I don't I don't know if it's all the Marvel content or just or just the shared stuff, the Spider-Man stuff that eventually that stuff is going to also end up on Disney Plus. Those are the deals that they made. They made deals with both Disney Plus and Netflix. Netflix gets it first. So they're going to so they're going to pretty much get it, I think, probably within you know nine months to a year after it's out of theaters or maybe maybe it's like six months to a year after it's out of theaters. I forget to find the language in that deal. But then maybe like a year after that, Disney Plus gets it. So at some point, you technically you, you would be able to watch the entire Infinity Saga, every single part of it. Actually, except for the Incredible Hulk, right? They still don't have the Incredible Hulk because, yeah, of, the, I think their, so. because of their universal problems. But moving beyond, let's forget about the Incredible Hulk for a moment. That almost that the that would be the only movie that they would that at some point in the near future that you could not sit down if you wanted to watch the MCU, all the Infinity Saga in whichever order you wanted to watch it in, you'll be able to even watch the three Spider-Man movies at some point based on the, the deal Sony, the deals that Sony have, has made. So I don't, so Netflix would probably be the first place it would appear. I don't think they have. So any, it won't have a day and date digital release. No, it's definitely, they, they, it's not a day. It's not a day and date. Uh, just like Spider-Man wouldn't just like, I think Sony would have been the one that would have been a talk about an interesting arrangement. That would if if they had decided to do something like that with far with uh, no way home, can just imagine the kind of contract negotiation that would have had to in that would have involved considering that if they were going to do a day and date release, then obviously Sony was going to want to probably at the very least they were going to want at least half that money that the Disney would be making on Disney Plus off of it, which is fair considering technically speaking it is Sony's movie. No, yeah, no day and date release for any any for any of the Sony movies. So. I think I think they'll I think they'll stick with it unless unless theaters start closing. Yeah, I think they I think they'll I think they'll stick with it. Yeah, I mean uh, I mean outside of all that. So first of all, guys, 
uh, yes, I want to see it bad. But for those of you who don't know, Austin has re-entered stage five lockdowns uh, with the Delta variant and everything that's happening over here. So where will we be by the time this comes out in late September? I don't know. Uh, I, I That's why I was very curious about day and date and a potential digital release, because that might make it a, lot, a little easier depending on what's happening locally here with uh, COVID. So, but hopefully I will see uh, the movie really, you know, relatively soon, uh, close to the release date. That's the hope. Uh, but who knows what the hell will happen. Um, uh, regardless, though, in terms of content, I really liked the trailer. I thought it was, I don't know what's, I don't know what's up with this trend of them uh, setting trailers to uh very common very popular songs that are modernly redone uh in this case it's the one is the loneliest number song or whatever that's a trend in trailers right i'm not crazy like we've been no seeing there, there is a certain stuff. there is a certain trend of mining older songs especially i think songs from the 70s or 80s and things like that and even and actually even uh some songs even from the 90s. So you're right. They tend to take they've been trying to mine some popular songs and kind of like just change the change, you know, the, the, the beats and the, and the rhythms and things like that. Yeah. Um, it, like most other trailers they've done that on, it works here, too. I do like that. This is a lot. I mean, there's still some comedy, obviously, but I do like that. This is a lot more serious um, uh, some of the sequences and 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 the. Um, the cinematography specifically in terms of, uh, you know, the way the camera is moving, the lighting, uh, the special effects, the pan, the panning of the cameras and stuff like that uh, seems to match the first movie, especially in terms of that sequence from the first movie. If you guys remember when Eddie breaks into the life foundation and it's got that very like body horror, just straight up horror vibe when the alarm is going off and symbiotes are being released and like all this other stuff. So I do like that. That seems to match here. A couple of interesting things to me. It happens twice. We see this girl and she lets out this sonic scream. We don't see her covered in any sort of stuff. So I, I don't think we're going to, uh, I don't think we're uh, any, anybody who's not a symbiote fan would know this uh, or just a comics fan who's familiar with the symbiotes. That's probably Scream, the symbiote Scream. The only problem I have with some of this stuff is let's focus specifically on Scream. The only problem I have with some of this is at in the first Venom movie, we had a bunch of different symbiotes in canisters, and one of them was Scream's color pattern. She was sort of uh, brownish red. It wasn't like a full on black, but lots of yellow streaks in it and so on and so forth. It was my understanding after multiple viewings of the first Venom movie that all the other symbiotes except Venom died. So I guess this is not this is not there are either that wasn't Scream or also how do we get Scream? Because it looks like she's locked up and she's locked up in sort of a similar containment module. So like. Did they? I I don't I don't know. The other thing is now, guys, I've tried to read a lot of various symbiote stuff lately. So, you know, especially with like King and Black and um, Extreme Carnage and stuff happening right now and all that. I'm getting things jumbled in my head. But to my knowledge, Scream doesn't have like a unique power. Like her name is Scream, but it's she doesn't have like a Black Canary 
scream. Like she doesn't have a sonic scream. And the other side of that, guys, is don't forget symbiotes have two weaknesses, fire and sonics. So why would they give scream a sonic scream? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There were rumors for a long, 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 long time that Scream is supposed to appear in this movie. So the fact that we're seeing this woman scream twice in this trailer makes me think that it's going to be Scream. But I'm trying to I'm trying to rack my brain for other Marvel Universe related villains who could maybe or antagonists or something of the of that effect uh, that would have a powered scream that would be relevant to this story, but I, I can't think of anything. So all I can think of here is this has to be scream the symbiote. So I, I mean, I don't know. The other side of that coin is her origins would have to be completely different because like carnage, it's an offspring of the venom symbiote. And that's where I want to go into carnage's origin here, because it looks like what happens is, um, Cletus takes a bite out of uh, Eddie. His blood enters into Cletus's system. And because Venom and Eddie are bonded, he gets a sort of combination of both or whatever, you know, symbiote blood or whatever in him. And that would be a good way to explain sort of those symbiote seeds, because that's what Scream is. The Life Foundation captured, a, you know, and forcibly extracted five different seeds from the Venom symbiote back when, you know, Scream and the others were first introduced, um, I don't know, 80s or something. Uh, but regardless, you could say, okay, it, it enters into the seed, enters into uh, Cletus, and that's how he becomes Carnage. But what's very interesting to me here is the way Cletus transforms. If you look at how Venom transforms, the symbiote kind of crawls up and over him and it's like a suit, right? It, you know, it wears Eddie or Eddie wears it, whatever you want to say. But what happens in Cletus's transformation looks like full transformation. Like Cletus isn't wearing carnage or vice versa. Cletus morphs and melts and forms into carnage. Um, it's not sliding over him. He is erupting the symbiote. It's hard for me to distinguish what is actually happening because in the, in the close-ups, it looks like it, he's morphing into carnage. But in some of the earlier sequences, like when he first wakes up after biting Eddie, like it sort of seems like it's oozing out of his pores, which would sort of align with what we think of the other symbiotes that we've seen thus far in this, in this, the cinematic side of things. But then you see the, um, the guards in the prison or whatever, take a shot at, at the torso of carnage and blow a massive hole in the center of him. And it just looks like carnage. Now we know that when Eddie fell off of that bike or whatever, that, that was the, at least the main example of it in the first movie. He like broke his arms and stuff and, and car and venom was able to sort of heal him, reform his bones and, and heal that and so on and so forth. So maybe that same thing is happening here to Cletus, but it like you're it, again, you're not seeing Cletus inside carnage. You're not seeing any wounds happening to Cletus. It just looks like they blew a hole in a massive being of red energy. And then, the the other thing is it's just like 
when you when you take that another step further, it's just like, okay, so then is Carnage a true symbiote? Does Carnage in this in this case, if if he's not the same as Venom, does does Cletus have a relationship with a being that has its own personality as Carnage, or are we going to get something where Cletus is Carnage, but because Cletus has schizophrenic tendencies, Carnage is just a personality and not an actual being? I don't know, and I don't know that. You know, like a lot of comic fans, I want everything to be as true to the original comics as possible. And I want Carnage to be a true and true symbiote. But if the entire point of Carnage is just honestly flat out Carnage, that he is insane, that he's powerful, that he's going to kill everybody without regard for anything. That's that's the point of the character. So, like, does it really matter if he's really a symbiote or if he's just a personality um i don't i i don't know it's what what it's it's just weird to me i know you're not like as big of a fan of symbiotes as i am i'm just trying to figure out if i really like what i'm what i think i'm learning about carnage here well again it's all speculation at this point i mean the reality i mean there are reasons to believe they're going down the road you you're talking about based on what we've seen in this trailer and based on what we believe to be how he becomes infected anyway that it's there's a it's a bastardization of the of of the symbiote that's already inside uh, Eddie. That, but maybe there'll be more of a logical explanation for the for the differences. Maybe even Venom himself will have the explanation as once he realizes what happened. You know, once Eddie realize, I mean Eddie and Venom realize what's happened to uh, to Cletus and everything. That maybe Venom himself will give us the explanation for for why that symbiote. Maybe it could. Maybe it simply is re- relation to the, the red one, as he said. Oh shit, that's a red one. <laughs> that was red. Uh, that maybe there, maybe there's just a different hierarchy, and certain red ones are just have unique powers. And regardless of how he got a red symbiote, it's the fact that now that that one ha- ha- that one's red, or maybe maybe it'll be a combination of had to do with some of the drugs they were pumping into Cletus when they were trying to kill him, and that mm. caused and that caused a change a change in the symbiote. Uh, maybe it would, like it, maybe it wouldn't technically have been that either a red or that way without the, you know, the, the drugs being pumped into his system at the same time and him having a, and him then reacting to said injections. So we'll see. I it's, I'm a, I, I certainly, honestly, I'm more interested in seeing this movie than, than Shang-Chi. Though I do want to see Shang-Chi and certainly more than the Eternals, which we, Still haven't seen a lot of. Which we, yeah. So if you want to look at one movie that you might want to think that, and eh, there's a chance it could move, I guess you would still have to. We're gonna know soon enough with the Eternals because if they're if they're if it's not gonna move, they have to have a new trailer when Shang Chi comes out, which pretty much gives you like less about a month, a month from now. They need to have a trailer because there's no way you can roll into that Marvel movie and not have the next. Now I understand. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, well because of the day and date, but Shang-Chi isn't day and date. So, so no, that's going to be in the theater. That's going to be in theaters only. So the reality is they're going to want the eternal, the Eternals trailer on that movie, because that's the next project. Just like you would think between now and then in the next couple of weeks, you'd think they'd like to put out the Spider-Man far from home trailer. Now would be a good time. You're not stealing thunder from venom. 
You're not stealing fun. I mean, Shane Chi, you've already put out enough stuff. You have to remind people it's coming out, but you shouldn't be leaking much more information, much more visuals anyway, unless you're really desperate. And that now would be the time because what because what are you gonna do if you're gonna if you're gonna wait to release Spider-Man after you drop the next Eternals trailer? Then guess what? At two minutes two minutes after Spider-Man drops, no one's gonna give a shit about the Eternals trailer anymore because more people care about Spider-Man. <laughs> so if you want the Eternals to have any kind of le- legs from that trailer and keep people interested, you want that to be to at least have a couple of weeks where the Eternals takes is the exclusive focus. And that trailer has to come out soon or else what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to harp on too long, but I think th- there was so much shown of the actual transformation and the symbiote. And then of course the allusions to scream, I was just like, and I, it, it, as, as a symbiote fan, it made me think about what they're actually trying to accomplish here and what the actual origins of these, of these new symbiotes is going to be, but all right. Uh, on to suicide squad. Ah, yes. On to the latest DC turd. From, certainly from a box box office perspective, uh, the Suicide Squad opened up. Not that many, not that many people seem to notice, but it opened up to about what twenty six and a half million dollars, underachieved. Was it better? We all do this, even though it's not much of a litmus test, especially in this case. But sometimes we go, well, it was better than the last one, <laughs> and that happens to be true. But that's not much of a bar. It's not much of a bar to clear, in all honesty, with this movie. Is it better? Oh, yeah, it's definitely better than than the David Ayers crap that we got. And I don't care what he says. I don't, unless unless the studio made him use the villains that they that, you know, used the villains that they did and told them to use the heroes that they did and make the story pretty much what it did. Unless they're guilty of all of that. And I don't believe that yeah, David Ayers director's cut would have been significantly better than than what we got. I think that was just a shit project. And with B-tier heroes, which is one of the big problems with the Suicide Squad, they're all B-tier heroes. Most people don't even, or characters, not even heroes. The B-tier characters that almost nobody knows anything about. C. C C-tier. Oh, yes, you're right, to be fair. Harley Quinn might might be a B-tier character. Might be. Obviously, from a box office perspective, that's still, that's probably accurate based on, Based on the movie she's been in, not counting the first Suicide Squad, looking at her own movie and this movie, which are pretty much doing about the same from a box office perspective. If you want to assume that a decent amount of the, the box office attention and reason people went to see it was because of her. Yeah, she might be a B tier character. Everybody else. Yeah, you're 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 correct. Almost every nobody knows almost any of these characters. This movie did benefit from the fact that at least though they were shit on on paper. They were probably shittier characters to throw in, but they were more interesting. So that is something Gunn does. Gunn does have a talent for taking characters and making you care about them. So even though they were characters you never in a million years would have thought you would have given a rat's, no pun intended here, or maybe intended, ass about when you went to see this. But with characters like Polka Dot Man and Rat Catcher 2, you know, and King Shark to a lesser extent, but he was... You gave you had a bunch of, of these C tier characters that were quite the head stories and were interesting. So that that's a big that that's a big plus to this compared to the first one. But at the end of you know, I don't want I have I have other things I want to say. I want to turn it back over to you for in a second. But it was it was entertaining. It's certainly more rewatchable than the first movie. You got a you got a cooler villain than again compared to the first movie. You couldn't have had a worse villain, probably. I mean, maybe you could have, but it'd have been really difficult. But it shouldn't be surprising that this movie didn't do particularly well. 
at the box office for multiple reasons, which we'll talk about. But I want to. But why don't you give your thoughts before I go into any of that? I mean, I think it'll have an upswing. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know an upswing necessarily in terms of, you know, it'll gain more in the upcoming weekend than it uh, did in the in the first. Um, but just in terms of, uh, we might see it, you know, uh, just gain just momentum um, because there there is a lot of positive uh, positivity. Uh, at least in the circles I'm saying, I mean, I, granted, we already sort of run in a comic centric circle, not necessarily the average consumer, but um, comic fans seem to enjoy this film um, and are, you know, saying things like, man, I was surprised. I really like it as much as I did. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I said it uh, on Facebook. It's, it, you know, it was a stupid movie that was intended to be stupid, but was somehow entertaining despite its stupidity. Um, I enjoyed it. The while it was interesting and cool from a DC fans perspective to see the C and frankly, sometimes D list characters um, show up and then just immediately get murked because of, you know, what the suicide squad actually is, uh, what their purpose is, you know, somebody has got to die. And in this case, like a lot of people died as a DC fan. Maybe, maybe that's just like, okay, cool. We got those characters. It was cool to see them. But at the same time, I wished for more, I wish for bigger names and, and uh, maybe the, you know, we don't have to see Superman in it, but maybe let's see a B tier character just show up somewhere, but you know, whatever. Um, I thought Idris Elba did good. Uh, Harley, of course, by Margot was, was, you know, Harley, she did well. Um, the visuals were cool. Starro was cool. I was surprised how close to the original concept Starro actually was. Uh, and he looked like Starro. Uh, just Starro sometimes artistically has been drawn certain ways. He, he looks more like uh, in, in a lot of our of the artistic representations is more like one of those stringy starfishes that the legs are or the appendages or whatever you want to call them are more. There's still five of them, but they're like longer and spindly instead of, you know, short and fat. Um, so him, him being designed the way he was had a bit of a comedic aspect um, uh, to it. Um, I don't know. Because it was a stupid movie intended to be stupid, it's, it's hard to just heap, heap praise on it. Uh, but, you know, I sat there. I watched it. I didn't hate it. I didn't feel like what the hell did I just watch? Why did why did I spend any time watching it? Um, I didn't sit there and kind of struggle with my feelings with it like I did with the first Suicide Squad movie that I just ultimately just didn't like. But I I had fun with it, and I'm I'm glad it's I'm glad it exists. Uh, and you know I'll buy it on Blu-ray when it comes out and add it to the shelf. I was somewhat disappointed. In the movie, I can't tell you necessarily why I some of it was the creative choices, I think, in the movie, some of the things that they did. But and some of that comes with some of that is the pro and con that comes with James Gunn, that James Gunn has a certain style and not just see, sometimes people get get spoiled, brainwashed into thinking that James, like the epitome of who James Gunn is, is just Guardians of the Galaxy. When if you've seen other things that he does or has done, I should say, that's kind of James Gunn being somewhat confined and constrained and reined in. By all accounts, he got to do what he wanted on this movie, just like Patty Jenkins got to do what she wanted on Wonder Woman 84. 
despite the fact that the studios never really thought it was going to work, but they let her do it. He pretty much got carte blanche on this movie. I'm sure that was part of his, that was part of the deal of when they grabbed to scoop him up immediately after his uh, Twitter fallout and his firing from Disney that they probably said, Oh yeah, you know, we want this to be a hard R you can do it. You know, you can do whatever you want. And there's pros and cons that come with giving James Gunn free reign on things like this. He has a very, and I'm not approved by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm not saying I'm offended by this, but he has a very crude sense of humor. I mean, he, as you can tell by the fact that even in Guardian, in the Guardians movies, he still can't, you know, there's going to be some, it's going to be some dick and bodily function joke that's, that makes it into the movie. But it's still in a relatively, you know, it's it's kind of like in a very confined space because you, you know what it's expected out of you. You know, it's a PG-13 movie. You know what Feige is going to allow, what he's not going to allow, especially having done two movies. This movie, you kind of see, you know, he does a lot. There's a lot of that humor. A lot of, I mean, the violence is real. I mean, again, I, violence doesn't phase me in a movie, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of really, really gory stuff in this movie. Some of the animals, the animal cruelty scenes were weird too, like setting the birds on fire. I don't quite see what the relevant, why that was necessary really. Uh, but he, I know he balances it out at different points in the movie. You can make the case he balances it out with the rats. Cause I think he wanted, that was like a subtext to this that, you know, because cause rats are really spo- supposed to be really awesome pets. So he wanted to get that vibe across that, Hey, you know, hoping that people would get more rats as pets after this movie. I heard something like that, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But James Gunn left to his own devices is, I think he might be somebody who's, who is better when you rein him in a little bit. He had some confusion about, you know, why this movie didn't do as well as it could have boxed. I mean, and it didn't do all that well downloading wise, too. So it's not like it had great download numbers compared to, you know, like Mortal Kombat and other day and date releases on, on, on Warner Brothers so far either. So it's not like it did OK at the box office, but did great with, on HBO Max. So far, the numbers don't indicate that it, that's the case. He had confusion about whether this was a sequel or a reboot or both. Such as the confusion with Bloodsport, is he dead shot? Is you know the whole confusion all back and forth whether Idris Elba was playing Will Smith's character or not, which you could understand based on the movie. Why even if you were working on the movie and, and didn't work on the and had no working knowledge of the characters, why you might think it was the same character? Because other than being a bigger douchebag, that the whole motivation for him doing what he did is very similar with his with his daughter not quite the same motivation and certainly the relationship isn't the same between father and daughter, but that's the main, but still to help his daughter is the reason why, you know, he, he ultimately goes on this mission. So you could understand even amongst people, you know, in at Warner brothers, why they make it might, might have gotten legitimately confused. The importance of brand in this, in this post pandemic or muddling through pandemic world. I think that's really important. Suicide squads, not, you know, it's a, it's not a big brand. Even amongst comic book fans, it's not a big brand. You're lucky if you know most, if you've even heard ha- about half the characters that appear in the books, let alone in, in this movie, especially. It's even lower tier characters who they make interesting because that's one of James Gunn's strengths. But like we mentioned, they're like nobody knows who these people are. You're not, that's not going to draw people, draw people to the theater. Just like the, it's debatable whether this version of Harley Quinn has a broad appeal. And I think it actually is. It is debatable that's the case and there were and you probably you probably didn't read it but then that's not why i sent it to you anyway but the article i sent you on saturday which talked about the, you know what the projected box office for this movie was going to be i only had that deadline article because it was the only the first article of the day on saturday that actually was doing the full weekend projections at that point 
But the act, but the article itself, by luck of the draw, was interesting because that art, the deadline article, purposely or not purposely, but when you're reading the article, it's clear that the writer isn't drinking the Kool Aid and just blaming it all on oh, all COVID nineteen or all it's all streaming, and that's the reason why it tanked. Because I think there were there were people in the in the insiders in the business that all along for the last few weeks or maybe even longer than that, like the month last few months, that were saying this now this basically the tracking on this movie was tracking more like Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, the emancipation of Harley Quinn, that it was tracking more like that, that there was every reason to think that this movie was going to have a relatively soft opening based on the the appeal or lack or lack thereof to this movie and the fact that it's not a brand it's not something people know very well it's not a big motivating factor to go to the theater whether you're a little bit concerned not concerned at all somewhere you know completely concerned certainly wouldn't even consider going to see this but in the just a general maybe slightly to maybe more than slightly concerned about going to, to see the movie in the current in the current environment there's not enough there for this project to draw people to the theater and especially when you compare it to the week before, you know, the, the conditions in the whole country have been changed dramatically from one week to the next. And Jungle Cruise overperformed. And Jungle Cruise, even with having, you know, even with Disney Plus siphoning off money from it, it's still overperformed in week one compared to in a COVID sense, it overperformed, obviously not based on how it would have performed last July if it had gotten to open normally. But even this week, it only dropped like around 55 percent. And almost every movie after its opening weekend in the post in the in the post pandemic world of everything reopening this year has dropped like around between like 68 and 70 percent. Almost everything's dropped closer to 70 percent in week two. But yet it held about 55 and only dropped 55 percent. So I think there's every reason to believe if there's a movie out there that people want to go see, especially family movies, they will go see it. I don't think suicide and suicide. I've heard a lot of people say good things about um, I've read a lot of good things about Suicide Squad. I've also read people who said they that they weren't happy with it. Or they thought it was going to be better or they're James Gunn fans. And they thought. But the reality is, I think it's a small target base for this movie. So even if the people who like it, who went to go see it, they like it and they say, oh, this was good. That doesn't mean a huge percentage of the non diehard fans, whether it's gun diehard fans. If you're not a gun diehard fan, maybe a comic book movie diehard fan i don't think there was a lot of incentive to draw people out to go see this or or that the trailers did that much to draw people in yeah i'd agree with you i just you know i it wasn't one i was like super stoked for or anything i didn't i didn't anticipate i I did i did appreciate how much dc put into marketing for it um especially around uh i think was was it san diego uh, as well as DC fandom, there was a lot of like, you know, pushes for it. And, you know, the color scheme was everywhere. The roster was everywhere. Uh, just James Gunn's involvement was everywhere. So I, I I did like the sort of unique marketing campaign they pushed push for. It. And, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of whether I liked it or not, this re- this film sort of really embraces the idea of, um you know, not every DC project has to be for for you as a DC fan. Uh, you know, I I really do. You know, I, I, regardless of 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 whatever I personally think about it, I I really hope it it gets a a second life or a cult following or or whatever because it all it really means to me is, you know, it shows DC like you know we want something other than Superman Batman. 
and and that's at the end of the day that's what i want i i love the dc universe give me you know that freaking blue beetle movie give me jsa give me you know whatever i mean i just i want to see the dc universe explored um and i don't want just yet another batman movie and yet another superman movie give me more dc uh and if this movie has success or cult following or or whatever then that would uh would prove some sort of viability the idea that we should explore something other than the trinity and i think there's validity in that i understand why i mean we've talked about this a lot on the show i understand your perspective on that and i do agree that but it's one of those catch 22 things especially from warner brothers because as we talk about you know money money talks that at the end of the day if the majority of the movies they release that are not superman batman related tend not to do well then that just keeps telling them that well we probably should at least tie it into superman and batman somehow which is kind of funny because i think there was one version of this movie that event that superman was supposed to be the one fighting suicide squad uh but the they also have it's also they don't the problem with DC is that they don't have the goodwill that Marvel has. Now, mind you, Marvel could be potentially in Disney could be kind of like pissing away some of that goodwill, depending how things go. Not just with Scarlett Johansson in the lawsuit, but let's see how Shang-Chi performs, especially since you can't count on getting China money for, you know, for that movie. The Eternals, which you pretty much can take to the bank. They're not going to ever get China money from for that movie that maybe they're not. Maybe they're not that just even if it's you just want to blame it on the current box office environment and people are going to be a lot more pickier when it comes to going to see stuff in the theater that you ha- it's possible that that those days for Marvel, at least for now, of being able to release anything with an MCU label and know that it's at the very least, it's going to make a lot of money, even if people don't think it's particularly high in the list compared to other movies in, in the Pantheon, it's still going to do really well. Maybe right now we're there. They're, they're at the end of that point even if it's temporary, that they're hitting that that lull. But the point is Marvel's built that up over 10 plus years. So they can release something that uh, on the surface that nobody really, and I mean nobody, of course, it's in, in quotes because there's always some people that are interested in anything. But most people are, were not clamoring for a Shang-Chi or an Eternals movie. There are much other, much bigger characters in the MCU that haven't premiered yet that people would have preferred to see movies on or solo movies on if we've seen them in other, in other uh, projects. But for DC, they haven't had a whole lot of success doing things like this. And they and they are picking ro- a lot of obscure properties. And, you know, Suicide Squad was always a shaky thing. It's like, oh, well, this is going to be our Guardians. And that's even before they had James Gunn. But it's like people look at Guardians and it's like they think that it's almost and I'm not saying it's a, it's like a, it's a complete fluke that it worked out that way. But people think that, oh. It's almost like it. All you have to do is put this together and, and copy some of the elements of of the of Guardians, and you're gonna and it'll work out the same way. And it's like, no, not necessarily. I mean, that movie really succeeded in spite of itself conceptually, just because nobody knew who the hell they were. The, but the trailers drew people into that movie. The trailers got buzzed for that soundtrack. movie. Yes, that was but that was also in the trailer. But but I mean, before the movie came out, the reason why people were interested in seeing that movie was because of of, yes, the music, but how that movie was being portrayed. And it showed you something different. So even though you didn't know you didn't know Star Lord from Adam, it didn't matter because the reality is it looked intriguing. And then and and the MCU had some goodwill at that point was like, okay, 
DC doesn't really have that. So they're picking a lot of obscure crap. Suicide Squad is really, 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 really bottom of the barrel stuff to begin with. And and James Gunn did a good job with what, you know, again, I think he picked who he wanted in this in this movie. But he did a good job telling stories. I mean, like Ratcatcher 2 was really cool. She she was really likable. Uh, Polka Dot Man was pretty cool. King Shark in his own way was cool. I mean, Peacemaker is a douchebag, but he's supposed to be. But the reality, and, and, and you know, I'm John Cena out in all honesty. Uh, but the, the reality is he made interesting characters out of people that you normally wouldn't have even thought of that you would give a shit if the whole plane blew up right before they even landed. And, and that was it. That was it. But they keep picking some of these obscure characters and there's no, and especially because they're taking the approach now that, Oh, we're not going to much like the comic books. We're not going to have continuity. We're not going to tie this into other movies. We're not going to tie the, be telling one big story or building towards this. So there's really no investment, even if, which is one of the things that Marvel had going for them. Even if you went to see the movie and you didn't like it, you knew it was a part of something. And it's like, Oh, well maybe the next, the, the next thing that they're building and the next part in this story will be better for me. But it all fits together and it was kind of, and, I'm, and, I, and it kind of was important that I saw it at least. So I don't miss anything with the way they're telling stories now in the extended universe. It doesn't really matter because you don't know how much, what, what's connecting to this and what's connecting to that. You know, is flashpoint really going to be some, this re you know, the flash movie really going to reboot this stuff. Is it so, is this the way they're getting rid of Ben Affleck's Batman forever because of that? Or are they, are they really going to continue on with Ben Affleck's Batman and, and this whole and none of the stuff really ultimately matters. And it's it's hard to know. But I think they're picking a lot of obscure, uh, obscure stuff. And plus, even the rebooting of Batman as soon as they did. And let's and maybe Pattinson will be good. Maybe he won't. But it's it seems an awful fast reboot uh, going back to like a year one story. But either way, well, I think that's part of DC's issue. They're They're, they're all over the map. And for all the people who point fingers and say, you know, the, the Snyder cut sycophants, it's like, oh, if they just let people do what they these creators do what they wanted. Well, you had two movies back to back in which the creators did do what they wanted. And guess what? Overall, it doesn't seem to have worked. Now, while Suicide Squad may work better with the audience as far compared to Wonder Woman 1984, when you look at the big picture between financial and critics and everything else. Suicide Squad is better is probably going to do better than Wonder Woman 1984, but both are not going to do well at the box office. And that's something to look at, that it just kind of reinforces that at the end of the day it takes a lot. You know, it, it takes a lot to make something successful. It's not always just one person. And it's not just, oh, if you just let the studio get out of the way. Well, the studio did get out of the way, certainly for Wonder Woman 84. And that then that crashed and burned. It's not, not, there's not just one way to make something and they just, they just need to, they need a better game plan. They need somebody to run this, to basically oversee stuff and not Snyder. They need someone to oversee stuff to at least come up with a coherent vision of what they're doing, even if everything's not going to be interconnected, but just to try to focus more on, try to give people more what they're interested in. And it's not like, oh, we have this property. Let's, you know, let's grab like Blue Beetles. Like, hey. I'd be interested in that just because I like the kid from uh, Cobra Kai. But the reality is, do we think the majority of people are going to give a shit about a Jaime Garcia version of Blue Beetle? If you even know who Blue Beetle is, that's probably not the Blue Beetle most people know. So I and that depends the story they tell and depends who else. Maybe it's going to be something like Black Adam, where you can have a lot of other characters, superheroes in the movie, even if he's the star or the main character. There's going to be a lot of other supporting heroes in it that people might know or find interesting. 
but I do feel a little bit bad because this movie is certainly better than I think it's 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 better than it's than the box office has reflected. But it you know but it is but it is what it is. I mean I think it's a and it's a it's a it's a limited appeal project. And James Gunn for all the people the, the positives about James Gunn leaving out the negatives. He's never really been proven to be a huge box office draw other than Guardians. You know, that's his that's his main claim to fame from a box office perspective, as far as racking up big bucks to prove that, oh, yeah, putting his name on a movie is going to put asses in the seats. It pretty much comes down to Guardians. So, yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? Well, if we hadn't gone on so long in the last two in the last two segments, I would I would have ripped into um snake eyes which i really want to do at one point uh but we'll have to push that to another to the to the to the next time we're talking more about pop culture stuff because it's i do want it won't take me long to vent but i do need to vent about i do need to vent about that movie so since we know what the next episode is going to be it won't be next week all righty well if people want to reach out to us and talk about uh, infinite frontier and where it may be headed or their thoughts on let there be carnage or suicide squad. How do they do so? Lanterncast.com is the website. Lanterncast at gmail.com is the best way to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast to track us down there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We are on those. Whichever platform or platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, you can leave us a voicemail or text us at 708 Lantern. 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right. Next episode, we're talking Green Lantern 5, right? Green Lantern 5, it will be. All right, guys. Talk to you then. Good night, everybody. Good night.